Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing. Member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com disclosures slash high-yield account. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. What's the state of corporate governance? The deficit is a real issue. The U.S. economy continues to send mixed signals. The financial stories that shape our world. Fed action to calm concerns over dollar liquidity. Some encouraging China data. The 500 wealthiest people in the world. Through the eyes of the most influential voices. Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary. Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson. SEC Chairman Jay Clayton. Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. The long and and winding election road. But has it led us home or to the courthouse? This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston. With an economy trying its best to recover, but still leaving over 10 million people out of work. And with a coronavirus that doesn't know the difference between Republicans and Democrats, and that gets its own sort of vote in our collective future. To help us start to make some sense of it all, we welcome now the man who advised President George W. Bush on the economy, Glenn Hubbard. He served as the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors under President George W. Bush. He went on to be dean of the Columbia Business School and is now professor of finance and economics there. Thank you so much. It's great to have you as a contributor to this program. So, Glenn, give us a sense. In addition, by the way, to the election, we also had some jobs numbers that come out at the end of the week, and they were quite heartening, although there are still 10 million, over 10 million Americans who don't have a job who did before the pandemic. Give us your sense of the economy right now, and what does it need going forward, no matter who the president is? Well, David, the jobs numbers do indicate a bounce back, particularly in private sector employment, which was higher. As you know, it was a government uh, retraction. Uh, but we've got a long way to go. We have not bounced back anywhere close, as you said, to a 10 million jobs short. And economists view, I think, that the level of output won't recover until well into, if not late next year relative to what it was this past February. So we've got a long way to go. What the economy needs at the moment, obviously, is first and foremost getting the virus under control. That's uh, prophylactic practices in the near term. It's a vaccine in the medium run. But we also need a more fiscal support. I was heartened to see that there is a discussion of a package that could include things like aid to states, beefing up unemployment insurance compensation, 
And I would hope some assistance for small and mid-sized businesses as well. That's, I think, what we need uh, in the midterm. So I think just about everybody at this point agrees we need to get some more stimulus here, fiscal stimulus. We heard an addition from Jay Powell, the chairman of the Fed, saying just that this week. Right now, Glenn, I think it looks like uh, the president is going to have to govern from the middle. Uh, no matter what. The, the one thing that seems clear from this election is the, the people basically got together and said, we don't like the far right, we don't like the far left, we'd like something in between. Uh, where could there be common cause? You mentioned infrastructure. Is that a source of, of common agreement, perhaps, between the parties? Are there others? Well, I think infrastructure could be common agreement. It would be a stretch to say that it is so at the moment. But I think focusing on problems facing working-class Americans, which go the gamut from training, to support for low-wage work, to aid to some places in the country that have been left behind in the ships or technological change and globalization. These are all things that we can do, and they don't, to me, have a Democrat or Republican feel to it. They're good economics. They should also be good politics, given what we're seeing in the polls uh, surrounding the race. So I would hope that's governing the, from the middle. Trying to do uh, more extreme programs on either the right or the left don't seem like they would have the political support. Uh, Glenn, one thing that has no partisan orientation that I'm aware of is COVID-19. It is, an, it is a non-discriminatory afflictor, as a, in effect. Uh, is there something we can do economically to address COVID-19? That is, do we need more money for testing, for tracing, things like that? Certainly that COVID-19 is affecting our economy. We do. I mean, the quickest way we can get the economy better is obviously to get the virus under control. Now, part of that waits for a vaccine, but we do have the need for public support for the public health care system, uh, for example. Uh, we need more funds for testing and tracing. This has been around for some time. A number of proposals are out there to do that. And I would hope that whatever package a president or president-elect could, could agree on with the Congress would involve that. So, Glenn, in addition to the election, in addition to the jobs numbers, we also had the Federal Reserve meeting and deciding and uh, Jay Powell giving a news conference this week. Uh, the Federal Reserve has been front and center for the economy for some time now, necessarily so. As we look forward to the next four years, can we expect that perhaps the Fed is not quite so central? Because essentially, maybe the Fed's done what it can do. Well, I think the Fed will still be central. The conduct of monetary policy is important, and the Fed has uh, said that it would keep its low interest rate environment for a while. But I continue to believe that we've asked way too much of the Fed. And I share Chair Powell's view that we should be asking the Congress for more fiscal support. It's not just that monetary policy isn't the best medicine, and it's not. The fiscal support would be better. It's that it also runs the risk of overinflating asset prices. It runs the risk of fanning income inequality and wealth inequality. So I think we ought to let the Fed fix crises when they occur, let the Fed conduct a reasonable monetary policy, but not count on it to always be the economy's safe. Glenn, you're an economist. I'm not asking you to be a political analyst. At the same time, some people say that there are places such as Europe, for example, where it appears that fiscal and monetary policy are more coordinated. UK as well, that seems to be true. We saw that this week. Is there some hope in this new world that we can coordinate better? Because we've had at least three different sources now. We've had the Treasury with Secretary Mnuchin and President Trump. We've had uh, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. And then we've had Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate. It seems like we had at least three different players here. Well, the advantage of our kind of democracy is sometimes that tension is worthwhile. I think there will be more coordination of fiscal and monetary policy in the sense that 
Uh, some of the Fed's newer programs do involve credit risk and treasury involvement. So in a sense, that is going on. So I think the identity of whoever the new Treasury Secretary is to work with uh, Chair Powell is going to be an extremely important one for markets and the economy. Okay, it's always a delight to have you with us. That is Professor Glenn Hubbard of the Columbia Business School, a Wall Street Week contributor. Coming up, the markets did an about-face on those expectations for reflation going into the election. But have they got it right? We asked Charmian Mosavar Rahmani of Goldman Sachs and Beth Akers of the Manhattan Institute. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing. Member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. Leading up to the election, markets seem to be getting ready for a Democratic victory across the board that would bring more spending, more borrowing and more inflation. But by election night, they were having some second thoughts. Now it looks like we may have a divided government. How much change in direction are they likely to have? For, for their perspectives, we welcome now Sharmin Mosavar Rahmani. She's Chief Investment Officer for Wealth Management at Goldman Sachs, and Beth Akers, Senior Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. So welcome to both of you. Sharmin, great to have you back with us. So start with that question. How did the market react? Because I'm going to say, election night itself, there were violent reactions, including in the 30-year for the Treasuries and equities futures, and then they settled down. Actually, the equities kind of liked it overall over the course of the week. We think that there are two drivers that have driven the market this week. One, election-related, the mere fact that we don't have uncertainty anymore, that the election actually occurred and the process was generally smooth, uh, was important. Second, I think, in terms of the fact that you have mentioned this as well, that it was 50-50 split, very close everywhere. So there's a strong signal that policymakers should not go too far to the left or too far to the right, that the markets won't like that, and the electorate, with such incredible participation, confirms that they don't want extreme policies, and most importantly, divided government. If we go back to 1928, or we just look at the post-World War II period, returns, both for equities and bonds, during periods of divided government, are close to double that a single-party government. So the markets, the financial markets, do not also like extreme policies. So that's a, a perspective in terms of looking at the election results. And then from a fundamental perspective, 
We've had 83% of U.S. Uh, stocks at the S&P 500 reporting earnings exceeding expectations, both on revenues and on earnings. So very solid fundamentals. We had the third quarter GDP number at 33 plus percent. So very strong momentum going into the fourth quarter, helping offset some of the risks that we're going to have with the surge in infections. So that's very important. And then uh, in addition, we just had the non-farm payroll numbers and claims. So very good support there and incredible decline in the unemployment rate with an right. increase in participation. So right. very good generally. So Beth, you follow labor economics in particular, in addition to the election this week and the Federal Reserve, we also had some jobs numbers that were pretty encouraging, actually, better than had been expected. How much help does the labor market really need from either the Congress or the administration at this point? I'd say as much as it can get. Um, <laughs> I saw a lot of people starting to celebrate the good report that we had and were quickly mobbed by economists who wanted to remind them that while this was good news today, we are not in a good labor market. So as um, Professor Hubbard pointed out in the earlier segment, we lost 20 million jobs uh, at the onset of the pandemic. And then we have begun to crawl out of that hole. We've gotten about halfway out. 10 million more jobs is a long way to go. And it's especially a long way to go when you realize that a lot of the people who have come back into employment at the early stages of, I guess, what we could call a recovery are people who return to the same job that they were temporarily laid off from. A lot of the people that we're seeing who remain unemployed today were completely separated from a job. And so, as you can imagine, it's going to be harder to get this population back to work. So I think a lot of support is needed, and I'm advocating for legislation myself. So we may need a lot of support on the labor market, but Charmaine, do we need a lot of support for the other markets? Because as a practical matter, it looks like if we don't have too many taxes, it's not too disruptive, it's sort of Goldilocks, sort of just right in the middle, particularly when you have low interest rates, it makes equities worth a lot. I think there's no doubt that we need some support as we get through the continued acute phase of the pandemic. And we know with the surge that we've seen in numbers, not just in the U.S., but in other parts of the world, we're going to have a very difficult November and December uh, in terms of infections and what that means for the economy. If you look at high-frequency data, uh, whether you're looking at Google mobility data, Apple mobility data, TSA travel, open table data, you are seeing a flattening of that improvement. So the next several months will be tough. But the assumption is that if we get a vaccine and these therapeutics sometime in the first quarter of the year that have some level of efficacy, no doubt that none of these are going to be magic bullets. But if you have something that's going to help, then you'll need some support. But gradually the unemployment rate will improve. If you think of our forecast for 7 percent by the end of the year, right. we already got it. So yeah. the glass is more than half full than it yeah. is empty. So Beth, briefly here, I'll give you the last word. Is it going to be even rougher in the labor market? Because we didn't bring all those 10 million people back. And if, in fact, we have to shut down some more, it's going to be worse. Well, the good news is that we had a good bump this month, with such a, which sets us at a higher level for any potential deterioration in the coming months as the pandemic potentially gets worse. Um, yeah, I, I would say we're in for a long winter, both with the pandemic and the labor market, quite unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. So we have a lot to look forward to. We hope it's better than we expect. Many thanks now to Charmeen Mosavar Rahmani of Goldman Sachs and Beth Akers of the Manhattan Institute for giving us a rundown on the job market as well as what's going on with equities and debt, an eventful four years ahead of us without a doubt.
Coming up, how badly is the pandemic hitting the real estate industry? And what is the long-term damage likely to be? We ask Sam Zell, founder and chairman of Equity Group Investments. Just like a lot of small businesses uh, and small restaurants, I don't think will reopen. Uh, I think in the same way, um, we're going to see a real attrition in the number of hotels uh, that are functioning going forward. Hotels are very unique forms of real estate. Uh, they have very, very high, uh, you know, kind of minimum operating cost levels. And therefore, the leaving the door open uh, at, say, 7% occupancy uh, is really, really pretty awful. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, we're not, we're not suffering. The country is not doing anywhere near as badly as the newspapers are headlining. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. Sweet strawberry icing. You were strolling along in goodwill when just past that mid-century side table and denim jacket, you spotted them nestled in their display case. Miniature donut earrings. Oh, yes, yes. Your favorite half-breakfast pastry, half-all-day dessert food made into your favorite form of ear candy. Oh, my. Those bejeweled sprinkles have satisfied some unknown hunger within you. Shh. Do you smell that? That's the sugary scent of shopping success. For this is goodwill. And with every item you buy, you fund local job training and more. So go forth. Bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. There was most conspicuously the group of extreme economic pessimists who've gotten such a fearful hearing this election year. But now that the election is over and it is once again legal to talk sense about the American economy, it is becoming increasingly clear that the country is not in the worst shape of the current millennium, but is in fact showing unmistakable signs of grudging recovery from its extended slump. That was Louis Ruckheiser on Wall Street Week back in 1992, shortly after Bill Clinton was elected president. Now, once again, it's time to assess the economy in the wake of an election. But this time, it's an economy coming off of the steepest decline in modern times, and one that has come to depend on huge injections of fiscal stimulus for its recovery. Rick Reeder, chief investment officer for fixed income at BlackRock, thinks that one of the inevitable consequences of the election is that we can't continue to expect that level of help from Congress. Listen, I still think you're going to get a significant stimulus package. I do think that, let's say it is a, a Biden presidency, you know, that is a more moderate, a moderate, I would argue, a moderate Democrat in many ways. And I think you will see some compromise. And by the way, the economy and the Fed's been calling for this. The economy needs more stimulus. You know, you hear all the time people say, gosh, the system can't take on any more debt. There, it is actually not true today because, you know, we're talking about on your show, there's a series of dynamics around demographics, there's a series of dynamics around need for income that allows the system to take on a bit more debt, and the system needs stimulus to get employment to a better level. Talk about the equity side of it. We heard that maybe healthcare is coming back, tech's coming back. Are those basically equities we figure, no matter what happens, those are going to do well? We don't have to get into speculation about other things. So I think the big thing is, 
you know, I think the you know significant increase. I mean, one of the major major programs is going to be raise taxes significantly, particularly corporate taxes. You go back to the dynamic around the Senate staying Republican was a really big deal. And so tech and healthcare are two areas where taxes would have been a significant drag. And then obviously, the extent that you'd have breakup of tech, that is taken off the table to some extent. So my sense is they're actually going to be in pretty good shape for a while on the backside of this. I think equities are going to continue to have a good run. So where are the opportunities as you look out there as, a, as an investor? Mm-hmm. Where are the opportunities at this moment? Yeah, I mean, I think... If people take, you know, there's always you've got to invest for the short. You've got to think about the short term and you try and think about what your entry and your exit point is relative to the short term. People have to get returns into their portfolio, have to get yield into their portfolio. So we like the yielding assets. And you think about if you have some more moderate president potentially, you'll see where that is. But if you think about, you know, what it means for a currency, et cetera, I think emerging markets is an interesting place to play. I think yields, the bid for credit is going to continue. And then I think equities are going higher. Not that you can't. If there's not some civil unrest or some, you know, clearly some pushback, some litigation on the election. But I think equities are going higher. I mean, these earnings yields for equities, the cash flow yields you're getting from equities are really attractive. If you think about the intermediate term, that's where the opportunity is going to be. I mean, buying the 10-year note at 75 basis points is not going to take your return to the uh, to the promised land. No, that sounds for sure. No question about it. At, at the same time, you have to have some hedge, don't you? Because there's been a lot of volatility. Mm-hmm. Is that real volatility or is that just uh, not much liquidity in the market? You've got to think about your portfolios. You know, when you manage manage um, you know any investment portfolio, you've got to think about what's the intermediate term that you're looking at. So, how do you hedge today? Like you said, interest rates are not a great hedge. The only thing that is a great gold is not a great hedge. I would argue we have a piece of gold in our portfolio. So, what do we do? I just think you got to hold more cash than you've had than you've had before. And so, you have some beta yielding assets, some equities in the portfolio. But I think you've got to hold a higher level of cash in the uh, than you have historically, particularly to take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. Well, in fact, if that reflation in trade really comes off, <clears throat> at least to some extent, does that mean the cash you're holding is worth more? That is to say, the dollar seemed to be weakening going into that reflation trade. Yeah, no, it's a great call. I mean, I, you know, cash, you think about where treasuries are, cash is not that expensive to <laughs> hold relative, relative to other assets. And, and like you say, Listen, I still think inflation, I still think having some tips and break-evens in the portfolio, tips in the portfolio makes some sense. But, you know, repricing it a bit, given where we could have gone, I think makes makes some sense. But then, you know, like you say, cash is not an expensive asset. But gold, by the way, I would argue crypto is not a, not a bad asset in a balanced portfolio today. And I, I don't think those trends have gone away. Rick, it strikes me we've had this wonderful conversation, and it's all been about the election and the aftermath <laughs> of the election. There is that COVID-19 out there that hasn't gone away, uh-huh. as best I can remember, and it gets a vote <laughs> in what happens with asset mm-hmm. classes, with our lives, in fact. How do you factor in COVID-19 and where it's headed in Europe and in the <laughs> United States? So, David, the, the most incredible thing I think about people, the people who work with me, I've said this way too many times, markets can only do one thing at a time. It's like, just tell me I need, to, I need to focus on the election, and then I'll focus on COVID. They can only do one thing at a time, which is the most remarkable thing. Uh, in the world of big data, the uh, markets can actually only operate in small data uh, circles. But the uh, listen, COVID is a big deal. I mean, look at the data in Europe. But you're right. I mean, I think once we get through this, then that is still a daunting dynamic. And particularly in parts of Europe, they're still locked down in some places and potential here. So it is um, that's not going away. And I think, you know, it's going to take a week or two. And then that's very much going to be at the forefront. And that's why you can't get too overzealous and uh, about, gosh, let's take a lot of risk today. And we got to hold more cash in the portfolio. We're definitely not out of the woods there with regard to COVID. And, and you know, not, not out of the woods in terms of we're going to have vaccine tomorrow either. That was Rick Reeder, BlackRock CIO of fixed income and head of global allocation. 
Coming up, how badly is the pandemic hitting the real estate industry? And what is the long-term damage likely to be? We ask Sam Zell, founder and chairman of Equity Group Investments. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. When it comes to finding opportunities, whether in real estate or elsewhere, there aren't many with the track record of Sam Zell, founder and chairman of Equity Group Investors. So we asked him where he saw the opportunities today. I, uh, I'm not sure I know the answer quite yet as to what the opportunities are. Um, I think the result, um, frankly, for the country uh, to basically come out, quote unquote, even as opposed to a wave going the other way um, is kind of a reflection of uh, how lucky we somehow are always turn out to be. Um, I think that uh, you know, this kind of an election in, in perhaps uh, a president like Joe Biden, who's focused on, uh, uh, on quote, unquote, you know, making deals and, uh, and compromise, uh, might be a very positive uh, outcome for the country going forward, which would translate into uh, a commercial environment activity uh, that would be, you know, much better than uh, uh, what might have been uh, that people could have been afraid of uh, uh, had, you know, some of them more vociferous uh, left parts of the Democratic Party gain more power. Are you concerned about deregulation? Or are you concerned about further tax cuts? Well, um, I think that, um, you know, the Obama administration was probably the most regulated uh, administration that we've ever had. Um, I think that uh, the first four years of Trump uh, probably bought, brought a lot of those regulations back to, let's say, equilibrium. Um, I would expect that a, that a Biden administration would uh, be more pro-regulation, but perhaps less so uh, than what occurred during the Obama years. 
Uh, Sam, we've had a rough year, I think it's fair to say, in 2020. I mean, we've had a pandemic, uh, the biggest one by far, for 100 years. We've had the severe economic downturn in the course of that. We've had uh, disturbances, civil disturbances in some cities around the country. What has this done specifically in the real estate area? You're really known for your success and and how astute you are in real estate. What has it done specifically for real estate as an investment? Well, um, I mean, obviously... uh, um, you know, you've seen, uh, you know, a tremendous increase in the interest in suburban locations. Uh, you've seen, uh, I mean, you know, we're, we're probably, you know, among the largest uh, uh, central business district uh, owners of, of residential in the country. Uh, and we've seen, particularly in New York and San Francisco, uh, you know, significant uh, reduction in demand. Uh, uh, in New York, it's more a question of price. So as prices have come down, demand has increased. In San Francisco, um, you have a, an environment that's more difficult. And, uh, uh, and I think that's, you know, in effect, putting uh, uh, people who previously fought for a place to live in San Francisco, being able to work from a more remote location. Um, perhaps you could argue that uh, uh, this has certainly done a lot to uh, increase the pace of conversion uh, to e-tail and, uh, and uh, retail on the net. And I think it's fair to say that uh, uh, probably to January 1, 21, uh, in 2021 uh, is probably going to be equal to where we thought we were going to be in 2025. So uh, the lockdown and then the pandemic has certainly accelerated the movement, uh, an increase in, uh, in retail online. Um, there's a lot of discussion about, uh, you know, change in, in office activity uh, going forward and higher and higher percentage of uh, offices operating remotely. I'm pretty skeptical of that. Um, I, I tend to believe that we're social animals and that we perform best uh, when we're stimulated by other human beings. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, you can be remote in, uh, in nowhere, Iowa, but at five o'clock, uh, there's no place to go uh, as opposed to living in New York or Chicago or San Francisco. Um, at the same time, we've seen an explosion in distribution real estate. Uh, probably the most uh, uh, best performing part of real estate today, although I would be uh, a little uh, much warning and say that, uh, you know, this is probably the least sophisticated form of real estate creation. Therefore, the barrier to access is by far the least in that area. Um, then you can look at hospitality. And, uh, and you know, hospitality is looking at a catastrophe, the likes of which it's never seen. It lives through 9-11. Uh, you know, it lived through the Great Recession. Uh, but it's never lived through a period where uh, demand is literally shut down at the level that it's currently shut down. Um, just like a lot of small businesses uh, and small restaurants, I don't think will reopen 
uh, I think in the same way, um, we're going to see a real attrition in the number of hotels uh, that are functioning going forward. Hotels are very unique forms of real estate. Uh, they have very, very high, um, you know, kind of minimum operating cost levels. And therefore, they, leaving the door open uh, at, say, 7% occupancy uh, is really, really pretty awful. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, we're not, we're not suffering. The country is not doing anywhere near as badly as the newspapers are headlining. And consequently, I think that uh, uh, the, the overall demand factors uh, are going to make are going to help the country um, yeah. move forward accordingly. I mean, yeah. look at single family homes. Uh, you know, it's a form of real estate where literally right. we've gone from, you know, slow market to very rapid market. Right. And uh, and obviously in the fact that we're dealing with uh, uh, interest rates as low as they've ever been yeah. uh, are pretty significant. Sam Zell of Equity Group Investments is still with us. And we're joined now by my colleague, Michael McKee, Bloomberg International Economics and Policy Correspondent. So you mentioned the low interest rates. Let's talk about what that's done to you as an investor. And do you expect the Fed to just keep it down? If not at zero, then just above zero. It's very hard for me to imagine that the Fed has a choice. Um, at the rate at which we're creating debt, uh, servicing the debt is becoming a bigger and bigger future risk. You know, for many, many years, the average interest rate uh, was 5.6%. Uh, if the government had to pay 5.6% on the debt I was standing today, uh, from a cash flow point of view, we wouldn't have a chance. So I think that the, the Fed has no choice. Uh, although I would tell you, in my opinion, the overall activity level in the in the economy is better than people are, are expecting and people are giving credit to it. Uh, just like this past week, uh, the numbers on manufacturing, you know, showed a significant recovery. Uh, I think generally speaking, uh, business activity uh, is better than you guess by reading the newspapers. Well, Sam, as an investor, what do you see in terms of demand for credit? Uh, the Fed can lower the cost of uh, credit, not significantly at this point. But is there any real demand? We're not seeing much take up for their lending programs like Main Street. Well, I think that, uh, you know, everybody's got, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, a shortage of patience. Uh, I, I promise you that if the Fed uh, had a policy for uh, providing cash flow to close hotels, there'd be unlimited demand. Uh, you know, I think we have a kind of a binary economy at the moment where parts of it, like airlines or tourists or travel, is suffering, restaurants is suffering very significantly that the rest of the economy is not suffering. So are, are think, you at a point where you have to offer uh, incentives to people uh, in order to, to fill up some office space that you own? Or uh, are you negotiating with people? There's a lot of concern about what's going to happen when we get to the end of the year uh, when rates usually reset. Well, I guess, you know, and, and, you know, you know, we are no longer in the office business, thank God. Uh, but we are still very much in the in the residential side. There's no question, particularly in uh, the 
what I would call our two softest markets, New York and San Francisco, um, you know, whether it be concessions or uh, uh, lease extensions with, uh, you know, other considerations, the net effect of which is that uh, the downside has been a reduction in the net rent generated. Uh, the good news in the New York market is that as prices have come down, the number of showings has gone up and the leasing pace and occupancy have increased accordingly. So that's a function of the fact that, you know, demand is forcing a repricing to a certain extent. I think a lot of that uh, repricing and demand change um, is all very convenient when everybody can work remote. I don't see that occurring uh, for much longer. That was Sam Zell, founder and chairman of Equity Group Investments. And that does it for this edition of Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston. This is Bloomberg. See you next week. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business. From liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.